I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Ria Renouf joins me now. We'll catch up uh, as to what her work is now in communications and reflect on the state of journalism today. I'll ask her why she's moved from journalism. Up until recently, she was uh, the uh, managing editor of the New West Anchor in Burnaby Beacon. Before that, she reported and anchored on City News Vancouver, and she co-anchored Afternoons on City News 1130. A lot of us came to know Ria from her work on CKNW. Her website is at renoufwrites.com, where you can read her blog, and there are links to her social media accounts and her vlogs. We'll uh, also talk about representation in the media and what it was like for her to grow up with a Filipino background and then go into the media market here in Metro Vancouver. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Ria Renouf. Ms. Renouf, good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, nice to have you on the program. Uh, I've interviewed you before for something else, but but, um, this is the first time you've been on the podcast. And I think uh, the the thing to admire about you, Rhea, is this ability you have to to reinvent yourself in terms of your work. Um, uh, We've seen you at various jobs over the years. Um, Your skill set changes with the times, if you will. And I guess that's something that people, whether it's the media or any sort of endeavor, I guess you have to be nimble. You have to carry various skills, right? Totally. Um, One of my favorite um, sort of themes or sayings or concepts actually comes from a movie that not everybody enjoys, but I personally enjoyed, Memoirs of a Geisha. Um, And I've read the book as well. But Uh there's a scene at the very beginning where they talk about how uh, the main character, uh, Chio slash Sayuri, she's more like water, and her sister is more like wood. And ever since I'd seen that movie, I was like, that's me. I want to be the water. And in a world where we often look at change as such a hindrance, I'm trying to flip the script on that in my personal experience and be like, okay, how can I make the change something that will benefit me, that will allow me to take the other skills I've learned in previous versions of myself. How can I adapt? How can I carve out that that path, you know, like water does in the ground? You know, if if it's stuck here, it's going to just go the other way. So I live my life very much like that, and Uh I'm very proud of the way I've tried to live like water and try to carve out my own path that way. (laughs) Yeah, you've had these jobs that that a lot of people say who um, aspire to do what you've done would want, say, you know, to to anchor the the afternoon newscast on on, uh, the radio, to be on television at 6 and 11. Um, And yet you're... um, You've moved away from from these things over time. I mean, it, 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 some people might say that that you're saying it's it says something about the media today and 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 how that's uh, contracting, if you will. I think yes and no, um, which is uh, probably you're going what <laughs> the answer to that question because <laughs> um, it's not exactly black and white. But as I've learned with media, you know, not everything is. I've been so fortunate to have a, a career for ten years in in media and journalism. And there's a mix of things happening there. Uh, on the one hand, you have to attempt to put this as neatly as possible. On the one hand, you have a lot of changes that are going on. So we were already a, an industry that was dealing with it. It was kind of the running joke that if you made it through November and March uh, and you didn't get laid off, maybe you had another year of employment because it's such a precarious industry where you're trying to uh, make sure that bottom line is okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're spend, not spending too much and whatever. 
So there was already that. Uh, ever since I started, and I feel like that's like time in memoriam. I feel like that's always been a thing. No matter who I talk to in the industry, in, in journalism, they're like, oh, yeah, we were always concerned about cuts. I would say in the last, like, maybe that's a 20 to 30 year thing. Everybody yeah. I've talked to who's experienced journalism and media, they've experienced that sort of in the back of my head, is this the day I get laid off? Which, you know, there's a lot of good work being done in journalism, but when you think about the the personal, the potential, um, just the tightrope walking, you're walking on a tightrope and either sides of the, the pole that you're holding is on fire. Um, you're like, okay, am I going to make it? So there's already that, right? There's already that issue. Uh, and then you're also trying to stand out in a place where there are a lot of other writers or, you know, talented people doing broadcasting. There are people who are doing great work digitally. And then you have things like C18 where, for those who aren't aware, basically the reason why you're not seeing things in, like, your Instagram feed or in your Facebook feed uh, is because of this bill, essentially, that's spurred a number of restrictions on yeah. social media. So there's that part. Then there's the personal part for me, which was, you know, I love the journalism aspect, and I think I've just been different in a sense that I really struggle with the, the investigative part. And I think that was always something that people were like, well, why don't you just do more of that? And the reason for me was I, the way I've talked to you about this before, but the way in which I ended up in journalism was through the, the experiences, or lack thereof, depending mm -hmm. on how you look at it, of empathy in journalism. Mm. And so when my aunt was killed in this hit and run, we did the appeal and I was shocked at the way in which some people approached me for interviews. And then there were also, you know, there were people like Marcella Bernardo who not only asked really good questions, uh, but were incredibly empathetic. And so that inspired um, the kind of journalism I practiced. And so Sometimes being in journalism, you know, there's this question of, is there neutrality? And yeah. as I'd worked throughout the years and also drawing on my background in sociology and anthropology, I think the answer for absolute 100% neutrality, the answer is actually no. There is a way to cover a story fairly, um, and even, even the questions of if we talk to both sides, is that fair? We've seen this a lot with, you know, the convoy protests sure. and COVID-19. Yeah. Um, but it was something that I was struggling with, the neutrality part. And I was like, you know, talking to people, getting to know them, and then you want to, you want those people to be a part, you want to get to know them more, those people. And, and that was especially the case in New Westminster when I ran the anchor. That really accelerated that, that sort of process for me where I was meeting all these incredible people doing wonderful things. But then I had to sort of shut myself away from my community, which is very, which is very odd mm -hmm. um, to do, because I do feel like you have to have a sense of humanity when you're doing journalism. And if you cut yourself off from people, if you take the sort of ivory tower approach where you're like, I'm a journalist, I'm in the media, I can't be around people, or I have to really limit what I do or like what kind of life I have. I can't vote. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, it becomes like, are you really doing journalism right. And so I had a lot of these existential crises. And this was like my life every day. I would do my work, and then I'm like, basically, on my off time, I'm having an existential crisis about journalism. So I decided to just take a breather, take a step back, and I was like, okay, this maybe we try something new. Yeah. No one ever said to me, like, no one has held a gun to my head saying, you can never leave the industry. Um, and so 
the timing all just lined up, and that's why I left. I, yeah. I just wanted to try something new, and, and here we are. And, and the work-life balance, is that better now as a result? Way better, way better. So I've been really open about my experiences with mental health. Um, I have borderline personality disorder, and I just want, like, a full disclaimer. I talk about it because I'm comfortable with it, uh-huh. but by no means are people required to talk about their experiences with their mental health. Like, their health is up to them, and it's, it's their choice. But I, I am very open about that because I think there are a lot of people who don't realize the kind of sort of the cost and effect of being in journalism. And I know that for my generation, we're a lot more open about it. But my work-life balance has been incredible, and I'm actually able, because you're not filing for deadline anymore, right? Mm. Like, you do have a deadline, but you're not filing within that, like, five-hour window. You're filing for two, three days ahead. And so I'm able to be flexible. I, I can adapt even more. Um, it actually allows me to take a breather and get to know people and to do interviews that are like 20, 30 minutes long or sit with clients and just be like, what kind of storytelling are you interested in? Or like, what, what are one or two things you wish people knew about your business or about you that we can, you know, put at the forefront and, and talk to people about? And there's just something there that I always laugh because people are like, oh, calm is the dark side. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a coping mechanism. It's like, no, actually, comms can be very rewarding, and, and that's what I'm finding so far. Yeah. Uh, you know, our, uh, George Garrett, who I know you know, um, yes. he, he went into communications as well, and that hasn't really hurt his reputation in, in, in this market at least. Um, if I can be like George, if I can do half <laughs> what George has done, I have officially peaked. I can live my best life because that man is just, he's, and even the way, I, what I loved about George is that the way he would approach breaking news stories, mm. there wasn't this like, he just had a way about him where he'd just be like, oh, by the way, I'm coming out with this story at five. I'm coming out with this yeah, story yeah. and I just want, he's just so like, just a, an absolute class act about it. And he is very much somebody who inspires me in this industry. So if I can do half of what he's done in comms, I'm happy. <laughs> you mentioned your work with the anchor. Um, mm-hmm. did you, do you miss covering, say, city council? Because I'd follow you on social media and I'd see you at these meetings quite late. <laughs> and you, sometimes you were at the at city hall, but sometimes you weren't. But you're still covering it nonetheless. And these mm-hmm. things run way past <laughs> longer than they should in, in most cases, right? I was so bummed because the final meeting that I covered, it actually finished early. They finished at 8 o'clock, and I was like, are you guys trying to chase me out of here? This is not fair. Uh, but for So the reason why I started covering or having this bizarre obsession, I call it an obsession with civic politics. When my aunt died and when my mom decided to leave for the Philippines, go back home, uh-huh. I didn't know anything about... Burnaby. I didn't know how to like, okay, how do taxes work? How does this work? How does that work? And so I kind of forced myself to cover these, to to, like get involved and watch these things because I knew nothing about, you know, essentially how to live because I was officially on my own. And I was also very lonely through university. So I was like, well, there's always one thing that's consistent and it allows me to learn about my city. Aside from the library, there's always um, city hall. Yeah. There's always there are always meetings that you can attend, and so this was something I was doing even when like Derek Corgan was the mayor of Burnaby, and so my world sort of inadvertently collided when I was at BCIT, and they're going, okay, well you have to do like a civic politics uh, section, and you're going to talk about things that are happening in the city, and 
the running joke was that I ended up becoming obsessed with garbage collection. And those were always <laughs> the stories that ended up being what I pitched for BCIT. And, and it actually worked out because I got to meet some really cool people like Nick Bolkov and um, Paul McDonnell, who unfortunately are no longer with us. Yeah. But they were, they were great people to, to get your feet wet and, and do interviews with and learn more about civic politics and even just talking to them afterwards. And I did have a couple of opportunities to interview Derek Corrigan when he won the last election that he managed to, to nab yeah. his, his mayoral seat. Uh, and then it just, I was just so fascinated at the dynamics, at the way things are going, how it, how seriously people will take things like trees and, you know, parking spaces. But these are things that make your, your life tick because you don't think about, you know, when you feed the meter, right? Yeah. When, you, when you go to park downtown New West and you're feeding the meter, it's like, what led to the decision for, for these meters to be placed here? What led to the decision for the cost to be this much? For Why are we using a, a parking app that is so different from what other municipalities like Vancouver and Burnaby are using? Because we're using a – in New West, they use something called the Passport app, which is not bad, but I know people are like, well, why can't we be on the app that everyone else is using? Mm. So all these, like, little weird, quirky things or seemingly quirky things that I was interested in, I was like – I really want to be a municipal reporter. I was desperate for it. And the way things worked out in radio, they would just keep putting me on other things. So I was, like, very privileged to be able to be on the morning show and reading the news. That was fantastic. But it was like, I really want to be at city council, and I really just want to sit there and listen to them, and I really want to <laughs> write a story about what's going on. Yeah. So with the anchor, the beauty of that was I was able to, to do that for almost two years, and I finally made it happen. And it could not have been at a better time because New West went through this very fascinating shift in their political scene where they voted in two people from a party that was not from the ruling party. So you've got this community first thing, and then you've got the New West progressives. And then when the whole school board thing happened, like it always found a way to integrate itself into, into civic politics. So it was just, I, I could not have asked for a better, like, this was my prime for for me. Civic politics was my prime time beat. I loved it so much. I know it's very atypical these days, and and that people are actually pulling away resources from civic politics. Yeah, but yeah. I loved it so much, and I just thought it was a great way to understand how the mechanics of my city as I as I lived in it. And yeah. people were interested, so I was like, okay, well here you go, enjoy. And I always that was always one of the things that people emailed back about, like, thank you for going to city council. <laughs> my pleasure. Yeah. This is my this is fun for me. <laughs> yeah, like I've, I've grown up and lived in Vancouver my whole life, but you know, mm. I did realize a few years ago that um, this region, Metro Vancouver, I mean, it's much bigger than Vancouver, um, yeah. and we need to pay attention to what's happening, say, in Langley or New West. Um, because there are some people that get elected to these these these, these uh, boards or councils that probably have no business being there, and uh, we need to pay attention to who we're electing. I mean, just as we're paying attention to who we're electing provincially or federally, um, it does matter what happens in your city, right, in your town. Yes, 100%, and that's what really concerns me about the direction in which media is going. It's not one main item that's at fault in my opinion it's not one main topic or theme or or facet that has created the problem we are being asked to do we as journalists i say this because i've been at it for 10 years and just recently left but 
journalists are being asked to do more with less. Mm. And things are getting um, sort of integrated and sort of pushed together. My heart absolutely broke when the news came out. It wasn't surprising for somebody who's been a watcher like me or for anybody who's been in journalism, but my heart absolutely broke when I started to see word that, you know, print editions of things were going out, mm. right? So now New Westminster and Burnaby, they no longer, the New West Record and the Burnaby now, they're no longer printed. They, you have to get them digitally and online. Um, you know, I think of Kamloops, right? They just yeah. recently had that announcement. No newspaper, no more newspaper. And these aren't places that are, you know, it, it's not like the national, I can't, like, I think of tabloids, right? These yeah. are not, Tabloidy. These are places that are genuinely trying to cover what's going on in the city. These are places where people are like, wow, I wouldn't have known about this horrible, scandalous event uh, without your reporting. But where the, there, another problem that we're seeing is people want the reporting, but no one wants to pay for it. Yeah. And that was the model that we were, we were trying to get done with the anchor, where it was, okay, let's see if we can get people to support. And people were were keen to be like, oh, thank you so much for the reporting. But then when it came time to to pay, no one really wanted to, or they just couldn't afford it. And they were, and you know, I actually got a letter from somebody who was like, I love your reporting, but I don't want to pay for it. Why should I pay you? Yeah. And people forget that you know we don't as much as I, in a perfect world, I would love to do reporting out of the goodness of my heart, um, <laughs> but. We have to pay the bills, you know. We yeah. have to put. I, I, I have a partner. I'm married. We got to put a roof over our heads and feed ourselves, and, and you know, it's just the way it is. But when it comes to, and I see this overlap too in marketing. When it comes to writing, when it comes to, you know, the journalism, when it comes to, um, you know, putting communications out there, those things are always the first to go because I think there's that attachment of like art. It's technically an art when you think about it. When yeah. you think about good writing. And people are like, well, art smart. It's not. It's not really a necessity in our in our lives. But you, people don't realize how ingrained art is in our lives and in our culture until you really stop and appreciate um, its importance. Yeah. Um, and communication is an art. So. So, so, Rhea, does our consumption of news or, or uh, information as that changes? Do you worry about what that does for democracy? I mean, our discourse is shit at the moment. Um, I just think, um, I, well, I worry that it's going to get worse, um, not just in the next year, but in the next you know, few months. Uh, you know, these cycles that we go through with, with news and the sort, that it's not going to get better. It's, it's already here. It's yeah. already here. I am, I am quite concerned about, you know, our, our consumption of news is now competing with basically some really interesting situations. And I think the perfect case study in this is Twitter slash X. Mm. Um, I actually just put out a blog post about this today where I talk about how we have really screwed up um, when we look at the reliance of social media. Because when, when I first started out in 2013, you know, one of the things that I was told was sign up for Twitter accounts, sign up for Instagram, you know, get on social media because that's going to be the way that people consume. And for a time it was. Like, it, it really was the way by which, you know, 
people were getting their news. The number of people who have told me that they actually relied on their Facebook feed because it was just so easy to scroll. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, there's my headline. But there are no, you may see the headline, but the stuff outside of that, there's no check and balance for that information. It's just showing up in your feed, right? And we inadvertently created a problem when we started relying on social media because, number one, there is no check and balance, but, number two, anyone can post anything, and so people are conflating, you know, news. Like, the the definition of news has really broadened where it shouldn't have. Mm. So this information, some of the information that we're getting, of course, disinformation, right? And that's all ending up in the same feed, but it's not technically face like at the time early on it technically wasn't facebook or meta's place to check your work so everything just goes into the same feed and then that's how people get disinformed and it is so much easier and now they've got you know little things here and there to try and stop that but the damage is done as far as i'm concerned people are people are not the, the average layperson is not able to really tell, you know, what fact from fiction sometimes. And I was laughing the other day because I saw community notes on on X. And while it's great that they've got community notes that are adding context, Mm -hmm. it's like, how are we checking the community note to make sure the community note is accurate, right? right? Like there's, so it just, it, it really concerns me that there's, you know, the idea of knowledge versus information. Information is just moving. As you and I are talking right now, I'm sure there are hundreds of posts going out across all these social media platforms. Information is moving at breakneck speed. Um, Knowledge, the ability to live your life, the ability to know why your taxes are going up, the ability to know um, about the wait times at a hospital, uh, to know about, you know, gas prices or the things that hit your heart health and your wallet. Um, that to me is becoming more and more uh it's getting lost it's getting lost in the ether and that and if it can happen for topics like that it sure as heck can happen for any any topic you talk about in news it's not hard and i guess this is not a new thing but um the the work that a journalist does I I, i think a lot of people don't know what journalism is and i think that's a problem too isn't it I have had a huge bone to pick about the way in which we have acted almost like we, again, me saying this as a journalist or having worn the journalism hat for 10 years, we've almost acted like a secret society. And it's one of the big regrets I have about the industry itself. Um, People do not realize how much work goes in when when the work is done properly, how much work has to go into a story. People also don't realize, you know, some of the rules around reporting, right? So in Canada, for instance, there's the, the one-party permission thing for recording where only one one of the parties has to be, you know, per, to give permission. Mm-hmm. Technically, that person is, is – the person who's recording is technically by default giving permission. There are a lot of little tools and things like that. If you post something on Instagram and it's, you have a public account, technically it's up for grabs because it's in a public domain. So there are things that people don't know, and, and it's one of the things that people have come to me with, being like, can can news outlets actually do that? Can they just take my stuff? And, well, actually, yeah, they can because of <laughs> yeah. the, the rules, right? These are the rules, and, you know, it's it's within their right to do that. And so 
when I get questions like that, it's made me realize that we have done a horrible job of not letting the public know how we work. And because we remain quiet, it's why we are such, it's so easy to say, oh, fake news. Oh, like journalism is bad, blah, blah, blah. We're not letting people in. We're not letting people know how we do this, why we do this, and why it's important, and why these structures are the way they are. So I do, you know, it's one of the big things I think about. It's like, at some point, we really do have to be transparent. When is that moment coming? I don't know if it's anytime soon. Yeah. Um, We've talked in the past about the importance of representation in the media. Um, you're somebody who um, a lot of people admire for, for uh, wearing your cultural identity as, as you have publicly. Um, that, that remains important to you, doesn't it? Oh, by, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Um, I am always so elated when I see somebody of Filipino descent, you know, whether you're full, whether you're half. I am always so elated to see reporters uh, show up in my feed who are from the Philippines. And mind you, like, I'm a huge supporter of, of seeing a shift in the industry where we are allowing people who are black, who are, and it shouldn't even be allowing, it, you know, giving or, or, like, having that platform, being involved, because they should be involved. They're huge parts of our, our communities. And it's been hard to see sometimes, you know, like, there, there are some places where the needle is moving or the needle is moving and then it's going back. And... Anytime I see, especially a Filipino or a Philippine, uh, Filipina reporter in the field, oh my goodness, I get so excited and, you know, I just want to, I, I just want to celebrate them. So I'm always happy to give my two cents, uh, when it comes to navigating the industry. It just makes me so proud and we just, we need more. We need yeah. more. There's never enough. We need more. <laughs> so what was it like for you growing up and not seeing somebody that you could relate to? Um, oh, it was hard. And and, and so, really so does that does that dissuade you at times to to, to even pursue the, the the field? Oh yeah, yeah, it really did because um, I when so when I was growing up, the the only exposure I had there were two Filipino programs. Well, one was in the Philippines, and one so we used to watch TV Patrol, which sure, yeah. like. The, that unto itself, lots of problems there with the news that was coming out of the Philippines, but that's fine. Yeah. Um, and the part of the reason why I watched TV Patrol uh, was because I wanted to learn Tagalog. Mm. Um, but my mom was also obsessed with like what was going on back home, so she would watch it. The second exposure I had was to the uh, broadcast that, that uh, Franco Taleg did with uh, Omni. Mm. And I loved Frank. I thought he was the coolest guy ever. I thought he was, wow, there's like a Filipino anchor in Vancouver. That's so neat. And then the show disappeared. I was like, what happened? So when it was announced that Rio Santos came back, I was like, oh, my goodness, I used to watch her, too, like when I was living in the Philippines. I was like, oh, I used to watch her, too. But these were things that took forever, seemingly forever in a day to have access to because that was it. Those were... Like Omni, the, the newscast that, that Franco did, and, and ABS-CBN, and that was it. That's all I was exposed to in the 90s, and we didn't have a lot of money. So it's not like we could have, like, the Filipino channel or anything like that. We were relying on what Shaw, uh, and it was still doing the multicultural channel. I think it still is, but when Shaw was doing all the multicultural stuff, mm-hmm. that's what we had access to. That was it. So 
for me, it was so hard because there were times when I was starting off where people would be like, well, you're a little animated and there's like, your accent is like not quite clean. And I'm like, what does that mean? What the heck does that, what does clean mean? Like, what are you talking about? And at first you just say, yes, yes, thank you for the advice because you're, you're, you're just so hungry and so desperate to get into the industry. You just want that break. And I'm so fortunate that it was none of my mentors that said that. And all of my mentors that I've had have been really like very, you be you. Um, obviously there's a certain kind of presence you need to have when you're giving the news, when you're reading the news, but like you be you. Uh, there is no like hiding, but at the very beginning, before I managed to, to make, um, you know, connections with those mentors, there were people who were like, yeah, yeah, you sound a little bit, it's just, your, your delivery needs to be clean. And I used to get so infuriated by that. It's yeah. like, am I really going to break, am I really going to have a shot at the industry? I would later find out that it was my accent that was the problem. Um, because I do have a little bit of an accent if I, if I get really excited. So for me, it was just like, I'm not even, I'm not even... I pass as white. Yeah. So as somebody who passes as white, I can't even begin to imagine because I cannot put myself in the shoes of somebody else who's experienced, you know, racism and, and just being ostracized for who they are. I can't even put myself in their shoes. So if I'm half white, I can't even begin to imagine someone who might be, you know, fully Filipino and the barriers they face. And we need to stop. Like, we just need to stop with that. It's getting relatively better in my experience, but I can't, again, speak for the other people in the industry. Um, and I really hope that there is accountability now. Um, though I do have, from time to time, I do have some concerns. So it's just, just so hard to be able to, to find those people to look up to, especially locally. But now I think, you know, now that we have Rio Santos here and Teresa Barrera and you know, uh, locally, that now we have the opportunities to find to find the people to look up to. But I would still say it's it's tough. It's tough. So in this market, I mean, you're you're seen by a lot of people as a role model. Um, you know, I, I can see um, how that's a good thing. But but for you personally, um, did did that ever feel like a burden to you? really like to look at myself as a role model because I'm just trying to do the best I can. I think if that's the lesson that people can take, I, I'm not, it's so funny because I came from the pageant world as well. I did a lot of pageantry when I was younger and it was like, oh, you know, she's a role model. She's wearing a crown. She's a queen or whatever. And, and it, that ironically feels very, disingenuous to me i mean there's obviously reasons why people do pageantry but i like in the whole like role model thing to pageantry where it's like it's wonderful to wear a crown it's wonderful to have a platform like that Mm -hmm. but i think even with if with the women who win or do really well in pageants i think the reason why they win is just because they do their best they're just trying to be the best person that they can be and for me that's that was a huge learning lesson doing pageantry, like especially Filipino pageantry. It's not like I'm number one and it's because I'm just trying to be the best person that I can. And so if there are lessons to be learned from what I'm doing, great. I sure as heck make a lot of mistakes and my life is not perfect. You know, I think of my Instagram posts and I'm like, a lot of that's just for marketing, right? And it's always a highlight reel. This yeah. is a highlight reel of things that, that I experience and, and not everything is, is, sunshine and roses and unicorns every day like yesterday i was supposed to work and i slept in i accidentally slept in because i was so exhausted from the last few days and i'm like 
oh, should I post something about that? And I'm like, you know what, maybe I should. And then I just forget, right? And it's like, oh, now I've screwed up again. Like all these things that I could have could have done to to make myself uh, better or like to – and you're not going to get it right 100% of the time. So I think I, I try to flip the script on the whole like role model thing and just be like – I'm somebody who's just trying to do their best, just like everybody else. Um, and if there's anything I can do to help or if you need a sounding board, I'm here for you. So I think earlier on it was a lot of pressure, but now I'm just like, this is just how it is and this is just who I am and this is just what I'm doing. So what do you, what do you tell young people who might come up to you um, uh, who say that, uh, you know, I'm interested in doing journalism? Yeah. What, what, yeah. I mean, is that something that you'd, you'd recommend they pursue the field? I don't sugarcoat it now in yeah. this as we're doing, you know, as we're doing this interview, because I have pe- had people come up to me like one of the big things there's, you know, I'm looking at pursuing a career in journalism. Should I do it? And I say the best piece of advice they can give you is to pursue the industry with an open mind. You do not know. Like, I remember when I took the program at BCIT and our year was the first year, or when I was in second year, it was the first time they had offered a video journalism course, and you had to learn how to operate a camera, like an almost like an ENG-style camera. Mm-hmm. And you fast forward to 2023, I don't really know what's on the pro- in the program now, but boy, I'm assuming that a lot of kids or a lot of students are learning how to shoot news stories on their phones, or that's already like standard process. Mm-hmm. If they haven't implemented that already... So you have to be ready to adapt. And I think that's where I've been fortunate to to have that sort of, relatively speaking, higher profile in the industry is being open to change, coming in with an open mind and heart and being ready to adapt. But there are fundamentals that you need to succeed. So that new sense better better be there. And honestly, the best training ground for a new sense sort of Thing, like trying to learn how to develop that new sense, the best training ground, I always say start with radio. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so breakneck, it is so quick. I don't know if that necessarily stands with today's, you know, staffing in radio, but I was so lucky that I came from a time where I had, you know, a mentor in Terry Shintz where I would just sit there and watch him and it's like, why is this, why is this news? Or like, why do people care? And I was so fortunate to be able to go through that, that training ground and really cut my teeth there. I don't know if that's the same thing now. I haven't been in a, in a radio newsroom since 2021, and things change so quickly. So that's why I think it's really important to go in with an open mind and like to make sure that this is what you want to do. Um, one of the other issues that people have come up to me with is, like, well, why am I not working a 9 to 5? Mm. How come it – well, first of all, <laughs> if you actually know radio um, – Radio is the the main example. Um, You know, the prime hours, so to speak, or like your shift will probably start at 3 a.m. and you'll finish at 11 or noon because people are listening to morning drive and afternoon drive. Um, So it's just not having that awareness of like, actually, your hours are not going to be the greatest. So there are a lot of sacrifices. And I made a lot of sacrifices for years. I've still got friends who are a handful of friends who are still in the industry and they're making sacrifices, you know. So... Um, people don't realize what is required of you, and that's why you just have to go in with an open heart and an open mind. Yeah. The other thing that people like about you is is that, that you're relatable, and I think you, you've you've displayed that in in our chat these these past few minutes. They, they see that certainly in the vlogs. 
Um, yeah. You're incredibly honest about your life um, and what life is like in this part of the world especially. Um, d- does that, uh, d- doing that, I mean, d- d- do you find that it, it, it helps in terms of coping with, with what life is like for you? A hundred percent. I think a lot of people don't realize it, it again comes back to this sort of ivory tower demystifying journalism thing where it was, I felt the number of people that I have talked to in the industry that have used the term imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, there is just this idea that we live perfect lives, that we are rich, that we have tons of money, that we throw um, flores. I remember somebody as like a dig at an attempted, very sad dig at me was like, Oh, you must love living in your Vancouver loft and like <laughs> laughing at us. I'm like, wow, I would love to know where this lot, like I, I am still paying off student loans. Like I, I went to school for what is four plus two, so six, I went to school for six years. I got bills to pay, you know, like my husband and I are just doing the best we can. My husband is a former journalist who now works in warehousing because he was laid off. He was working for a furniture company that was doing really well. And then, you know, post-pandemic, quote-unquote, happens, and he gets laid off from his job because they're just not making the kind of money that they used to make when people weren't traveling and wanting to spend money on furniture, right? So people don't realize that we are just, humans at the end of the day and this is why i have such a problem with like the quote-unquote objectivity it makes us sound like we are i don't know like we are god in in this industry and so part of it was i wanted i've been wanting to keep track of the progress i've made and look back and be like okay i'm really proud of that i did i did that i was able to to um to accomplish these things and part of it is like just the 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 brutal truth about what the the economy is like and yes it does impact us you know like we downsize uh our from our apartment and i have no i am not ashamed to say that at all because for me it's like you live you for me it's important to live you know by the means that you're that are available to you right. and so john and i were very you know we can see this coming, you know, we're, we're getting a rent increase next year. We got to live within our means. And especially with what 2024 is projected to look like just all across the board, we were like, let's get ahead of this. Let's rip the bandaid off. Let's, let's downsize. And, and maybe, you know, obviously the dream of like owning a home one day, maybe we can get there, but we're just going to try and we work really hard. And so people don't realize that, yeah, it is, it is journalism has some really fun stuff there are great things you get to do behind the scenes but there are a lot of folks in journalism who are like also just trying to pay the bills and, and make ends meet so i'm very i'm very proud to be open about that stuff i have nothing to hide and i just want people to know that a lot of us in the industry or like in the industry adjacent to journalism that we work as hard as, as a lot of us work as hard as possible yeah, I guess it speaks to, to literacy. I mean, people think that uh, nowadays, young people especially, you know, the, the people young, you know, who are still in high school, say, uh, equate journalism with being an influencer. And I think that that's a very dangerous path to go down. Oh, I cringed. I, my stomach did a flip when you said that because yeah. journalism does not equal influencer. Absolutely not. Um Again, it does go back to the existential question of, like, are we neutral? Um, But just taking a step back and being like, the concept of journalism as we know it 
is A, B, and C. The concept of influencer is X, Y, and Z. And I don't think the two should meet. Mm -hmm. I really don't think the two should meet because the whole point of journalism is to help, it may be to help or help hold accountable the situations that are going on in our communities. An influencer is somebody who it's very much about them. You are experiencing the world through their eyes and, and you know, a lot of visuals and a lot of blogging or blogging and writing and whatever. So that's very much like a the person who is shooting the, the footage or writing about the experience first. That's all very much on them. Journalism, I think, at its heart is meant to highlight the things that people are doing in our community or like the things that city hall is doing or so journalism is not about you as mm. a reporter, right? Journalism is about other things, other people, other topics. The influencer sort of uh, approach is you're experiencing it through that person's eyes. And typically there's, I think there are some overlapping traits. I do feel like there have been some cases, like the really good journalists, whether it was like, uh, I think a lot of the times it's accidental. I think back to George Garrett again. They just happen to be like very charismatic, very attentive listeners. Um, and then with the influencers, it's a different kind of charisma. So there is some charisma there, but I, they, the two are not one and the same. They're completely different entities. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen things online where they, they, they view the critic, if you will, you know, the theater critic, yeah. the book critic, and then they think that that's the same thing. And that's a very, as I said a moment ago, it's a very dangerous way to look at things. I mean, it, totally. cr criticism is journalism, but, yep. but influencing is not no, criticism. it is not. So. No, definitely not, definitely not. And so I I think the other thing, too, it's it's nice to think of it like the, as if it's like a video recorder so like with the influencers they're they're writing about the experience they had but in journalism you are the video recorder and you're also adding the context yeah. right so context is so important i feel like you know if you were to give the same kind of footage to a journalist and an influencer it's like okay you're just watching it at face value if you're if you're consuming something from the eyes of an influencer but with a journalist that person is actually picking apart the things that they see, right? Like yeah. the controversies that might show up in that footage, the the important context and like the background of some of that stuff. Um, it, it, it is important to have journalists in our society because they're the ones that are like, they're supposed to be doing the checks and balances. So it's, yeah, to conflate the two is a big, big mistake. I could not agree with you more. And I guess re, uh, com. that's where people can see the blog and then they can see the, 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 your vlog and then uh, the links to the socials, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to figure out whether I'm going to be taking more clients because it's actually been really busy, which is fantastic for yeah. me. The, just, the downside is I'm the only person, but... I mean, it, there may be some openings from time to time. I do have a few contracts that are ending next year. So all my socials are at Rhea Renouf. But, yes, RenoufRice.com is the easiest way to figure out where I am, what I'm doing, and how best to connect. Yeah, and one of the, the, the few uh, websites where you, you post your rates, which I found refreshing. Thank you. A lot I think of, that's so important. Yeah, a lot of people don't do that. And, and I, I think that, um, I guess, turns away business more than anything. And, and, you know, it's especially now where I think a lot of businesses, and, and I work with a lot of small and medium-sized businesses, a couple of not-for-profits, and 
it can be really tricky. They, they want to keep the marketing, but of course, like I said earlier, usually the first thing to go is the marketing uh, mm-hmm. when, when times are tough. So it was imperative for me to be able to, to post those rates because, you know, can we make it work? Can we not make it work? And I always tell people who are interested in, in working with me, like, listen, this is just sort of like the base. Mm-hmm. If there's a way to make it happen, I will try to make it happen. Let's see if we can. Let's see if we can work it out because nothing, there are some cases where things don't necessarily neatly fall in those categories. So, you know, maybe you have a budget. I can try and help you out with that. I don't think, you know, I want as many people to have access to marketing and, and good writing and story, good storytelling as possible. So those rates are, are there just to serve as a base. And, um, I mean, you can also do, you know, the upfront, if you're like, oh, I'm happy with those rates, great. But if you're like, I'm kind of struggling and, and I, I don't know what to do, can you help me? Like, I'm always open to that too. So um, I'm, I'm very proud that I, was, that I posted those rates because I want people to be able to access, access um, uh, good work and good writing and good marketing and communications. Rhea, thanks for this. I, I so appreciate your time today. It's been, it's been great talking to you, and I hope we'll continue the conversation. Uh, you know, you're welcome here anytime. Yes, thank you so much. And I always love, you know, listening to your podcast, and I always appreciate how you're highlighting, you know, the local scenes, you know, whether it's books or stuff like this. So thank you so much. The website for more is at renoofrights.com. Rhea Renoof joined me on the line from Surrey in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.